This is 40s and shit. As always, it's hosted by your host, Controversial Corey. Today we got a very special guest with us. You probably know him from Animal Planet's Finding Bigfoot. He's a Bigfoot researcher and he owns a Bigfoot Research Museum, Mr. Cliff Berrickman. Cliff, how you doing today? Doing great, Corey. Thanks for having me on. It's no problem. Cliff, let's just get right into it. Um, I really wanted to talk to someone that I considered uh, a researcher of Sasquatch or a researcher of Bigfoot and not just some guy running around with a camera in the woods. You know what I mean? There's a difference. <laughs> a huge difference. Um, I remember being a child growing up and my mom would take me to the library and somehow I would always make it to the mystery section or the paranormal section. And I remember just getting all these books on Sasquatch and Bigfoot and the Loch Ness Monster and UFOs. And as a child, I wholeheartedly believed that all these things existed. And as I got older, I became more of a skeptic. Um, one point, not even believing in uh, the things that I used to believe in. But now that I've um, come back to it at, at such a mature age or a clearer thinker now, I think it might be some truth behind this uh, Bigfoot stuff. What do you say, Cliff? Oh, well, I say a couple things. First of all, Sasquatches are absolutely real animals. They are really there, as unexpected as they are to most people. Um, but also, my search for Sasquatch also started when I was a young boy in the public library. Um, books are the way to go. Unfortunately, we live in a weird media world where most people get information from YouTube and other places. Uh, but there, there is no substitute for books. Um, so I congratulate you on there, um, and you know, you might have been that guy sitting at the table next to me for all I know, because I was doing the same thing. And oh, dude, he has the book that I wanted. <laughs> uh, but no, Sasquatches are in fact real animals, um, and the evidence is what co convinced me long before I even saw one. And I have seen one, 26 years of effort, and I had a really bad sighting back in 2011. But um, but the books, the evidence is is it, it, it's, it's damning in a way. It's just clear. These things are real. Um, you know, and and it's I agree. There is a lot of evidence for um, the existence of a Sasquatch, like um, for example, the Patterson film, the Freeman footage, and the Dave Sheely video. Are you aware of these? Yeah, I don't I don't like the Sheely one so much. I'm not convinced that's real. Uh, but uh, Patterson Gimlin film is absolutely real, and I'm also inclined to think that the Freeman footage is also real. Mostly based on the footprint evidence that's associated with the footage. Let's just uh, let's just talk about those videos for a sec. Um, with the Patterson film, I seen the Patterson film when I was a kid, you know, and it was only like still images from a book or maybe a clip from television. It wasn't until maybe I was about, um, I would say, 23, 24, I found myself watching the Patterson film at like five in the morning one day. And this, and I was watching it to prove that it wasn't real. You know, I'm I'm watching it to prove that this is a guy in a suit. And as I watched the video, and like I say, at five in the morning, I'm up watching Bigfoot films, and it was impossible. I couldn't find anything that said this was a hoax. And I finally came to the conclusion: what I'm looking at is a living, breathing Sasquatch. That's absolutely correct. Yeah, that is the real deal. Um, back and you know, back in the early days, some of the interesting analyses that went on uh, from well-known climatologists who said that, yeah, I don't know, that doesn't look right to me because that, that it must be fake because of this. The things they said about it um, actually, through more research, ended up being the thing the way it had to be. And what I mean, like, here's an example. Um, one of the I can't remember who it was, but one critic of the film in the early days, which is back in the 1970s. Um, somebody said, oh, look at that. It, it looks like it's wearing um, uh, like sort of sandals or, or slippers or something because of the way, of the way that the heel is so much further out from the, the ankle than it is in humans. It shouldn't be like that. 
That was the reason they said it was fake. But now we know that the heel is necessarily elongated because of the biomechanics of walking bipedally in a humanish sort of fashion. Um, as it turns out, the elongation of the heel is an adjustment through evolution of the foot morphology, the anatomy of the foot, that actually enables Sasquatches to use less energy when they walk because they're so heavy. It would be the same sort of uh, function. Uh, it's actually a type 2 lever. What's going on with your foot? Uh, if you know what simple levers are, some machines that type two lever is like a wheelbarrow. You know, and if you want to lift a really, really heavy load in the wheelbarrow, you can blunt and groan all you want. Or you can extend the handles a bit, and it makes it actually easier to lift. You have to go further, so it's an equal amount of work done, but it's actually easier. It takes less force to do, and that is the same function of the elongation of the Sasquatch heel. So back in the day, they said, "Oh, it had to be fake because of that," but it turns out the tables have been turned. Those reasons that it had to be fake because it didn't make sense to this person are actually really damning evidence that this thing is real. It's the elongation of the heel that enables the biomechanics to work to carry a mass of their size in a more or less bipedal fashion. Or I mean totally bipedal, but more or less human bipedal fashion. It's crazy you uh, began to talk about how the creature in the Patterson film was walking. That was one thing that I wanted to bring up. That was another thing I noticed about the film as I was watching it that the way the creature's leg moves, a human being's leg just doesn't bend that way. Um, I remember being a child when I read about the Patterson film, they'd all, they would always say things like, um, in the books, the, the creature had this gait that couldn't be replicated by a human, or they sent the footage to Disney animators and they couldn't replicate it. And as a child, I didn't really understand that, but as watching it now, I, I see the gate that they're referring to and how it would be almost impossible for a human to walk that way at that speed continuously with their back completely erect. Yeah, you know, Dr. Jeff Meldrum uh, from Idaho State University, he did a TV show one time and it hasn't really made a lot of, it hasn't really circulated heavily, so a lot of people aren't aware of it. But what they did is they, they got a professional dancer. And of course, dancers are just very aware of their body. They're physically trained to move in peculiar ways, et cetera. And what they did, you know, like um, when Lord of the Rings or Planet of the Apes and stuff, how they, they Andy Serkis, that, 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 the actor, they put like those ping pong ball suits. Yeah, the mocap suits. And then suits. they film them and, the, 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 film and the, the, the computer tracks the ping pong balls. And um, they did that with this dancer guy. And they tried to get the guy to walk like the Patterson-Gimlin film subject. And after 45 minutes or more, on the treadmill, by the way, after 45 minutes or more, they finally got the guy that, yeah, that, that's pretty much it. And the dancer said, this is exhausting. This is not an easy way to walk, and it is exhausting. But yet in the Patterson-Gimlin film, you see her just kind of cruising, cruising across the sandbar in a very nonchalant, easygoing fashion. She's moving at a good clip. She's going pretty quick. But she's not struggling to keep this unusual gait. Do you and believe that gait is called a compliant gait? Compliant. If you notice, um, her leading leg is always bent, whereas humans walk with a stiff leg going forward. Um, we actually lock our knees with every step. Sasquatches don't, and that acts as a shock absorber for the uneven, crazy terrain that these things choose to live in. So it, it, it isn't quite impossible, but it's. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm at the museum and I have a phone up here. No, it's but it isn't quite impossible, but but it's very difficult. To walk like that, even for a professional dancer who's trained to be very in tune with his or her body. Okay, so well, now that we discussed the Patterson film and we kind of, you know, determined that 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 is kind of substantial evidence. It we believe that me and you believe that that's that's a real Bigfoot. Let's talk about the Freeman footage a little bit. Um, when looking at the Freeman footage, besides the blurriness of the camera and the the. Um, how, how can I say this? Maybe just how the distance of the creature from uh, Freeman himself. I would say that that is uh, almost as good as the Patterson film, the Freeman footage. It's much, it's, it's shorter. We'll say that. It's definitely shorter. And I've had some concerns with the Freeman footage. Like it does tend to look down before it steps, uh, much like I would assume a human in a suit would. Uh, and I don't think a Sasquatch would have to do that. But at the same time, I mean, honestly, I've had reports of um, numerous times of Sasquatches being observed and they're looking down as they kind of shuffle around, you know, so it's not an unheard of behavior. So I can't write off the film for that reason. 
Um, and I'm compelled to think that it's real based on the footprints that were found at the location. The footprints themselves are very compelling. They, they, uh, they are of the shape, the size, the anatomy that we expect. And it's a known individual. Um, we have about 15 or 20 casts of that. Well, maybe not that many, a dozen or 15 casts of that same individual from that same area in that same time. Um, and these casts are very, very compelling. So assuming that those footprints, I mean, the footprints are real, I'm convinced. And, you know, but there's a picture of one right there where the footprints were found and cast. I, I kind of think, well, yeah, it's got to be real. Then. Why do you think that people who, who manage to catch these creatures on film, why do they always end up with the reputation as, of, of a hoaxer? Oh, because the, the, the general public doesn't think the subject is real. So anybody who has a picture or a film of one of these things, probably a hoaxer, right, in their eyes. Where I kind of start at the other side. It's like, it might be a hoax, but it, you know, it might be real too, because I know these things are real. So, yeah, I, I don't start with that same premise that everybody else does. Have you ever heard of the Mayaka skunk ape photo? Oh, sure, yeah. How do you feel about that? I feel like that is the most substantial evidence that for us. Okay, before we even get into that, do you consider a picture and video evidence of a Sasquatch? Evidence, yes. Okay. Proof, no. Okay, what is the difference between evidence and proof? Evidence is uh, items that support your hypothesis, okay? Um, basically, we're talking about science, and science isn't like a body of knowledge that people guard and whatever else. Science is a process a process of getting toward getting to the truth. So basically you have a question like what in the world is leaving these footprints? What in the world is being is behind this whole Bigfoot thing? My hypothesis is that there's a, a primate out there. Okay. Okay. So evident. And so you kind of think, okay, what's an experiment that, that will, that will kind of prove this or give some evidence. Well, if it is a primate, it should be seen occasionally. It should have hair that should conform to the other primates. It should leave footprints that conform to what we know about ape anatomy it, and human anatomy because we're apes too at the end of the day. It's our biological family. You know, so these are all kind of mini experiments that can be done. And so you gather evidence to see if that evidence supports your hypothesis that these things are real or whatever. Um, and hopefully they conform and say, oh, yeah, well, cool. Let's go find more evidence to see if maybe I, I can be proved wrong because that's what scientists do. Scientists are always trying to prove themselves wrong, not prove themselves right. See, if you can prove yourself wrong, then, oh man, I got to start all over. I got to go make another hypothesis or at least tweak my idea a little bit. Gotcha. Um, but if you can't prove yourself wrong, then maybe you are right. Because here's something that a lot of people forget. There's a lot of arguing nowadays, you know, politically, scientifically, um, emotional nonsense, as far as I can tell. Um, the truth can withstand the scrutiny. You can look as hard as you want at the truth and it's not going to waver. And that's important for all of us to remember. So that's the difference between proof and evidence. Proof is when no one can say, oh man, there's no way this is fake now. And unfortunately for Sasquatch, that's a dead body. That's all it's going to be. Until, until a dead body is on a slab in some scientist's office, the, 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 the proof will never be there which is why I don't advocate for proof. Um, I'm a compassionate person. I'm not a gun guy. You know, I have a firearm, but it passed down to my dad who passed away. Okay. But like he, he, I'm not a gun guy. I'm not willing to go out and try to shoot one of these things. Um, so I can't advocate for the proof because I'm not willing to pull the trigger. Okay. Well, I've been thinking about the subject for a while. I know a lot of people have. Yeah, and by the way, you clearly know your shit, which is where I assume the word shit comes from in your title of your podcast. Yeah, shit is just yeah, everything that goes. I don't know how old you are, and you got the shit, man, because you know your shit. Congratulations. Thank you. Far thank more you. better educated on the subject than most of the people interviewing. Thank you. Thank you. Um, like I say, for a long time, I've, I've believed in Sasquatch, you know, so this the things that you all say are things that I have said. But, um,. I've never actually done any field research. I would like to go ahead and say that. But um, I would like to propose this one hypothesis with you. And this is one that I've had for a while because everyone, you know, has their opinion on what Sasquatch or Bigfoot is. You know, is it an alien? Is it a, um, a primate, a gigantopithecus or whatever it may be? I have one theory myself. Um, can we agree that there are still hunter gatherer tribes out in the world today? 
Yeah, of course. Mm -hmm. And these people have existed for almost thousands of years, right? Yep. Well, if these people still exist, hunter gatherers, isn't it? And it's small populations of them spread throughout the world, hunter gatherer tribes. If these people can manage to live on this planet, shouldn't it still be like caveman people around too? And even smaller populations? Yeah, yeah. What you're talking about is where science has gone now. Um, now, I don't know how old you are, but I'm 49 years old. I'll, I'll be 50 here in a few months. Um, when I was growing up in the 1970s, um, all this Bigfoot stuff was, you know, all the scientists turned their nose up at the Bigfoot thing because there wasn't a place in the scientific paradigm for them. Because back then, our understanding of human evolution meant that like one species was here and then another species developed um, uh, through natural selection and they were just better at being alive than the previous species. And then they drove that previous species to extinction. And then another one showed up. And an example of that would be Homo heidelbergensis, which was the precursor to Neanderthals. And we think that Neanderthals actually evolved out of Heidelbergensis. So when Neanderthals showed up, they were just better at being alive than Heidelbergensis was and then drove Heidelbergensis extinct. And then humans showed up and we were just better and smarter in a lot of ways than the other guys and drove them extinct. And that this kind of gave the idea of this one after another linear progression of human evolution. Well, it turns out that's not true. That's not true at all. But the revolution in paleoanthropology that made us realize that didn't come about until the late 1980s and early 1990s. That's really recent. Right. Now we know it's not a linear pro in progression at all. It's a big bushy sort of thing with, uh, with uh, branches going out in all directions. And some of those branches die away quickly. Some of them persist for thousands and hundreds of thousands or even millions of years in some cases. And then now, according to the predominant scientific model, there's only one branch still living, and that's us. However, who's to say that some of those other branches that supposedly died away quite recently, who's to say that some of those aren't still persisting in small populations and pockets throughout the world in these wild regions? Because when you look at it, you know, geologically speaking, 100,000 years isn't very long, right? No, in not at all. In the last 100,000 years, we had Homo sapiens, that's us. We had Neanderthals. We had Homo Denisovans. We had Homo, uh, the last Homo heidelbergensis. We had the very last Homo erectus. We had Homo floresiensis, the hobbit species from um, Flores in Indonesia. We also have the Homo luzonensis, the newest member of our, of our family that was described in the journal Nature in May of 2019. We also had Homo naledi. There's eight species off the top of my head that existed in the last 100,000 years. Who's to say they all went extinct? And that's kind of what you're talking about. Shouldn't there be persistent small populations of quote-unquote cavemen or relict hominoids here and there throughout the world? Where do you stand? Do you believe that Bigfoot is more related to an animal or a person? Well, people are animals. I don't draw a very stark line between um, various primates, shall we say. I am an ape. Right. Because I have, I don't have a tail. That's a big clue that I'm not a monkey, right? Right. I am a, an ape species. See, it's kind of like saying, is it a dog? No, better yet, this is what it's like. Is it like, is it a canine or is it a coyote? Hmm. What's the difference, really? Right, one's it's the same. More specialized, one's a little bit more drilled down, shall we say, more specific. But at the end of the day, human beings, we are in the biological family of apes. The same family. You know, we can't call us apes but we are um so i don't see the difference and i think that's one of the interesting things about sasquatches is that when they are proven to be real because it's coming someday um when they are proven to be real that's going to show not only their humanity but also our apiness you know <laughs> we're not that different we just choose to think that we're above and better than everything when actually we're just differently evolved i see well, I guess a better question would be, do you think uh, Sasquatch and human beings can, um, how can I put this, crossbreed? Oh, can they bang successfully and have offspring? And have offspring. Um, there are stories, uh, mostly native stories, about people, women being abducted. We're going to get into that. Sasquatches and whatnot. The, the kids don't, don't seem to do well, even in these stories, but there's no evidence for this. 
Um, I'm an evidence-based researcher. I love the stories, don't get me wrong, but um, it, it's hard for me to fold something into my, uh, my model of what I think Sasquatches are without some evidence behind it. Well, I have heard a number of stories, and maybe they're true, but at this point, it's hard to say. I, I don't really have any information on that. I got you. It's funny how um, Bigfoot or Sasquatch has been spotted in every state in the United States, and it's been spotted on every continent except Antarctica. But let's just talk about yeah, Hawaii doesn't have any credible Bigfoot sightings. Oh, okay, then I'm sorry about that. Almost every state. They have a different thing called Minahuni, which are like these little people, but I'm not I don't know about those so much. Um Oh, do, I'm so sorry. I wish I could mute that. It's fine. Do you think that that holds any weight though? The fact that people see these things in almost every state across the country, do you think that maybe these things can exist in all these states or maybe someone is exaggerating? that they did exist in all of the states um, because in the same way that black bears were once more even more widespread than they are now and deer for example most large mammals have a nation or continent-wide distribution in suitable habitat um, the big one moose and whatnot they go they tend to go north because they're so big it has to do with heat retention but sasquatches are being as human-like as they are and being as smart as we presume them to be um, are very adaptable um, they can adapt to a wide variety of habitats and climates and whatnot. They just adjust their own behaviors accordingly, just like humans do. Um, so, yeah, uh, whenever, wherever there's food, water, and cover in abundance, you have a possibility of Sasquatches in the same way that you have a possibility of, say, mountain lions or, uh, or black bear. I know you compare. Sasquatches are better kind of in some ways at, at, at slinking around and being quiet and staying out of sight than those other animals are. Yeah, they're um, definitely... they definitely survive in small pockets. They're highly mobile. They're very intelligent. They're largely nocturnal, and they seem to do a really good job staying away from us. You, I, I know you mentioned uh, many times in other interviews and other videos that you believe Bigfoot's diet is as close to a black bear. That's what you would compare it to, right? Yeah, because black bears are the other large omnivore here in North America, or even grizzly bears. I think it's, it's fair to say grizzly bears too. Um, but I, I think if you took the, the black or the, the bear diet, I want to differentiate between black bears and grizzly bears or brown bears. If the bear diet combined it with the hunting prowess of uh, cougars and mountain lions um, with a little bit of the human diet, the native indigenous human diet here in North America, if you remove the fire technology, I think that is a good approximation of the Bigfoot diet. Well, the largest primate that we have on the planet today would be, what, a mountain gorilla? That's correct. And they only eat vegetation. Why don't you believe that Sasquatches are only vegetarians? Oh, because people have observed them eating meat. Um, people, uh, many, many, many reports have them uh, taking deer down, digging for rodents, um, eating frogs, uh, going after hogs in the south. Um, yeah, so the, the uh, observations of Sasquatches clearly indicate that they're omnivores. Okay. Do you think they use tools? I think that they use tools to some degree. Um, there are a very, very small number of eyewitness reports that have them holding or carrying anything. But there is an interesting photograph of one from New Mexico that is holding like this 12-foot log, and I don't know what it's doing. But and I think that's real. I've spoken to the person's colleagues, and they all say, oh, no, this guy's legit. Um, but, you know, the tool use is interesting, but it's not as big a deal as it used to be. You know, not only do all the other apes use tools in some sort of manner, but so do crows and so do like uh, sea otters, you know? And so it's not this unheard of thing. Even some fish and octopus use tools. So um, it, it's not this, this uniquely human feature any longer that we thought it was a few decades ago. Okay. Um, it's, it, as, as we were saying, you know, about how they've been spotted all over the country, they have also been spotted all over the world and they go by so many names. You got the Almas in um, Tibet and Nepal. You got the Yowie in Australia. You got the Orang Pendek. You got the Yeti. You got the Yiren. Um, Do you think that these creatures that people are mentioning as well, do you think they have as much credibility as the North American Sasquatch? I think most, if not all of them do. I mean, certainly not all of them because there's mythology. There's also kind of echoes of um, uh, persistent cultural memories and that sort of thing. But I think uh, a lot of these probably have biological realities behind them. 
Um, I have gone to Australia. We, I encountered a Yowie down, down there. And as far as I can tell, they're Sasquatches. I spoke to a lot of good witnesses, not only in Australia, but of, in Indonesia, looking for the orang Tendek, which is a different species. They're, those aren't Sasquatches. Those are something else. Um, also, the, uh, the Yeren of China, um, the Yeti of Nepal and Tibet. In, um, the, the, the... Almas. Uh, the, I haven't spoken to any Almas witness, to be fair. I haven't been over in that part of the world yet. I did go to Vietnam, though, too. The Tari is what they call them down there. So, yeah, I've been all over, and I've spoken to very compelling witnesses. And, and again, if we go back to the idea of relict hominoids, about small populations of these things persisting, or these things are some type of human ancestor persisting in little far-off corners of the world, it makes sense. They should be more or less worldwide at least in pockets, you know, maybe not yeah. thinly spread like Sasquatches seem to be in North America and suitable habitat. But um, like, I don't think Western Europe, for example, has any more relative hominids. It Maybe it does. Maybe it does. But um, I think they were there. And now they've probably moved off to areas that are less crowded and you know, overrun by humans. You think they're migratory? Not in the not in the sort of like wildebeest mass migration sort of way. I think that they follow the food. So um, nomadic, kind of, kind of like black bears. And if they are, if they do migrate, it's probably a vertical migration, like the deer do. You know, they follow the food up and down the slope, depending on where the snow lies. Okay. Um, let's talk. Let's talk more about uh, these sasquatches from all over the world, or these uh, relic hominoids, or these bipedal ape creatures that these people are seeing all over the world. Like you say, you you've been to Australia to find the Yowie. I find the Yowie fascinating because. In North America, a lot of people say that uh, Bigfoot or Sasquatch is a case of mistaken identity, that people are really seeing bears walking on two legs. I don't agree with that, but it's a reasonable possibility. But in the case of the Yowie in Australia, there are no bears. There are no, there's nothing else that that could possibly be but what people are saying. Um, how do you feel about the whole Yowie thing? Do you think that's a case of mistaken identity or you think that it's really a bipedal hominid out there in Australia? Well, no, I think I think Yowies are there and I think that they're probably Bigfoots or a subspecies or something like that. Um, I, we did encounter one when I was down there um, and it exhibited the same behaviors we observe here in North America. Um, I was clapping at it and it was clapping back. So I changed my pattern and it changed the pattern to the same thing I was doing. So something was there interacting with me um, off in the brush. And then shortly thereafter, whatever was there uh, pushed a tree down um, and right across the river from us. And we got a big, uh, all that was recorded too, by the way. That was all in Finding Bigfoot in the CD episode. And that's 100% legit, man. That's not TV nonsense. That's legit stuff. Um, and again, the, the Aborigine people down there, they have uh, traditions going back thousands of years of these same thing there. And in fact, down there, there's two reported species. Two. It's supposed um, to be a smaller one. Yeah. Uh, it's supposed to be a smaller one, right? That's correct. Yeah. That's correct. Man. You really do know your shit, by the way. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, a smaller one that they call the, is a gingery. I mean, I always call them brown jacks. Brown jacks, yeah. I've heard that. That's and the, the name. larger one. And, you know, when you look at Indonesia to the north, which would be the only way that something would really be able to get to Australia, you know, historically or prehistorically, as we Right. They have both kinds up there too. The small guys, like the Ibu Gogo of Flores, and the big guys, like on, on the Suwalisi, the island of Suwalisi, there's there's you know, Bigfoot like things reported there. And which makes sense. You know, that would be one of the uh, kind of a thought experiment we can do. If they are in um, Australia, shouldn't they be there too? Check. Got it. Yes. I've heard that um every animal in Australia shares a South American ancestor. Do you believe that um, maybe the relic hominids that are in Australia today could be something that came from South America? That's, I guess that's possible. I, I did not. I had, I'm not aware of that, but um, I wouldn't discount it without finding out if it's true or not. You know, um, but you know, there are Sasquatches in South America too, like the Mapinguari. The Mapinguari. Yeah. I went down there to check that out. I was actually looking at that earlier on YouTube. Your video where you went to South America. You guys were out in the. Um, Amazon messing around with venomous snakes and tarantulas, and you and we're you not as smart as we look, I suppose. You and Bobo were um, out there without a guide. How did that go? Uh, South America was amazing, um, and you know, but <laughs> having been in a number of jungles now, you know, South America and the Amazon and Vietnam and Sumatra, 
And I think people romanticize the jungle a little bit. It is gnarly. Like everything in the jungle is either trying to eat you or trying not to be eaten. Um, and their, their strategies for that is being pokey and pointy and venomous and just generally dangerous. Um, it, it's gnarly out there, but it is beautiful. It is absolutely beautiful. And certainly there's more than enough land for a couple of these critters to be running around. Yeah. Um, with just with just how dangerous it is out in the woods and all these things that can kill you and, you know, all these factors that play in the survival of an animal. How is it that something like a Sasquatch manages to live out there? You know, something who's bipedal like a human being is close to us. You know, it, it, it has a lot of characteristics that people have. How is it able to just live out there like that? They're, they're just gnarly, strong, and fast, and they use their intelligence for what they need it for. They're not using fire or doing math or anything like we do. Um, but like they're, they're using their, their, their terrain strategically to help them get food easier. And dude, these things are fast and strong. Like They are just as fast, if not faster, than, than any bear. Um, they are the, probably the strongest things out there in North America. I mean, I suppose buffaloes or moose or something might give them a good run for their money. But they're just gnarly. They're they're not very much like people. Is the problem? They're a little like people, and they certainly remind us of us. But that doesn't make them like us. They are uniquely evolved to persist and thrive in that wild terrain, just like every other species that lives out there. You know, everything, everything from coyotes to grizzly bears. You know, they're specifically designed for that, and sasquatches are as well. How long? How, okay, when when um when I look at a Sasquatch and like I said, I look at that that fancy gate that uh Miss Patty was showing off in her video. It almost looks as if bipedal walking is something that they've just recently evolved to do. You know, it doesn't seem as if they've been doing this as long as human beings have, but particularly by the whole bent leg gait. But you said that's for shock absorption, so I can understand how evolution has gave them yeah, that ability. Things, even Patty, Patty's not a very big one. She's about six or six and a half feet tall. She's not really big, but she's really big. She's, yeah, she's not really tall, but she's weigh, she weighs like 400 or 450 pounds. And that jarring of every single step, if she walked like us, would be, would be devastating to her joints and her bones and ligaments and all that sort of stuff. So she has to have, uh, Sasquatches in general, would have had to have modified the gait. Or perhaps maybe human beings modified the gait for more archaic ancestors to, de to develop a way for us to be different, which is what I think the case is. You see, human beings are very unusual as far as the hominins go. Hominin is a fancy word that means um, human ancestors and offshoots thereof. We have an arch. Almost no other hominin does. Neanderthals have a low arch, Heidelbergensis, that led to them having an even lower arch. But that's kind of it. We like, and our, our foot structure was built or is has developed for our own behaviors that are different than the other ape and hominin species. So I think that we're the outlier, not them. We're the ones with a different gait because we're unusual. We have a different habit. We have different behaviors. I got you. I understand. I understand completely what you're saying. Um, I've noticed that a lot of people, it's it's crazy how divided the world is on something like Sasquatch. You know, sometimes you, you, talk, you mention it to someone and they believe that it's only one of these things. They don't believe that it's a population. They When you say Bigfoot, they think you mean one Bigfoot. But, um... How do you, how many do you think there is, if we could just put a number on this population worldwide of these? Ooh, worldwide, I don't, I don't know if I have enough knowledge to venture an intelligent guess, um, honestly, you know, because uh, I don't, I don't think I truly have an, uh, a grasp of how many sightings and how much land there is available. But, you know, if we can back it down a bit to, to North America only, okay, I think it would be safe to say that there's probably... You know, maybe seven or seven to ten thousand or so of these things. Do you think Which most of them live in Canada? Reason. I mean, there's thirty five thousand bear in my state of Oregon. Okay. So to say that there's ten thousand of these things in North America, which includes Canada and all that other like essentially like you know northern wastes where almost no one lives except for the indigenous people who have made a, made it 
good living there. But then, of course, they all talk about Bigfoots. They all know Sasquatch is real. Right. So I think that um, 10,000 would be a real rough guess. That wouldn't be too far off the mark, I'm, I think, for North America. Worldwide, it's hard to say. And can, especially when, you know, there's probably a couple different species out there um, that aren't quite Sasquatches. So I don't know if I grouped them in or not. So I, I don't really know. A lot of people consider it a, a conspiracy or some government cover up, you know, that they're hiding the truth of Sasquatch. I believe that the only reason the government would have to lie to the public about the existence of this creature would be because honestly, the government can't do anything about it. You know, if the government told us right now there is a 10 foot tall ape man in the woods, be careful we would expect them to be able to protect us from it. But they don't know where to find it, just like we don't know where to find it. So I feel like it would just be easier to just tell the public that this just doesn't exist because honestly, you might never see it. You know, um, there's black bear in my state of Louisiana, but I've never seen a black bear. There's alligators here, you know, and I've never seen an alligator. So it, it's, it's easy to tell someone, you know, yeah, there are Sasquatches out there, but we can't do anything about it. So instead of saying that, just say, hey, they just don't exist. Don't worry about that. How do you feel about that? Well, you know, I'm not a conspiracy guy. And I find that the, the, the more conspiratorially oriented people that I know have seemed to have a lot more faith in the government than I have. I have almost no faith in the government. Um, but what I do understand about the politicians is that they don't seem to be like normal folks like you and I. Um, they seem to be more invested in like the economy. It's almost like they're worshiping it in a way because uh, everything they do is for the betterment of the economy, not the people that have to use the economy to art as a tool, but the economy itself. Got to keep that thing growing. It's like having a newborn baby and everything you do is about that. It's ridiculous. It's a misguided and misplaced uh, allegiance, in my opinion. But... Um, but because they seem to worship the economy and because they probably have seen and observed the, uh, the economic damage that little things like the spotted owl did to the Pacific Northwest. Spotted owls is the species of owl up here that um, in the 1990s, they figured out that these things will only nest and reproduce in old growth woods. They can somehow tell the difference and that's the only place they will reproduce. And so when we found that out, they were, and these things are endangered. So they cut off all logging of old growth, which really put a dent in the economy of the Pacific Northwest because so much of it relied on um, you know, logging practices, most of which have been kind of revised by the Forest Service and stuff. So there's more sustainable logging now um, than there was back then. It actually did some good things for the logging industry, although it kind of put a lot of people out of business for a while. And some of these little towns still haven't recovered. So from the political the politicians, I should say, not even political, but the politician perspective is that the discovery of the Sasquatch is going to do a lot more than the spotted owl thing did because they're going to have to shut shut down roads, shut down road building, shut down logging, shut down all like a lot of the mining interests and a lot of economic activities in the Pacific Northwest until a thorough ecological study of the animals can be done. Which the nature of this beast that could be like twenty years. And these things aren't going to be any easier to find after discovery, you know? Yeah. So I think that their concern is like, okay, well, we don't want to shut the economy down. So what's the most cost effective way to deal with this? Well, the easy answer is don't do anything. Bigfoots are doing a really, really good job taking care of themselves. And when you combine that with the people who do think that these things are interdimensional or shape shifting or UFO riding, whatever's. Well, those people seem to get all the media coverage, so it discredits the subject. So the, the politicians, um, I don't think that there's a, they get together in a, some sort of co, you know, cabal behind locked doors and scheme together about this. I think that some individual politicians know about these things um, and they kind of say, well, we'll worry about that when we have to. We'll cross that bridge when we come to it because I've got more scheming things to steal money from people to do in the meantime. I, I, I understand completely. Um, you know, skeptics always seem to make their opinion about Sasquatch and what it is and how it's a guy in a suit or how come we haven't found any dead bodies or how come all the people that's in the woods hunting, how come they just don't run into them? And I find it funny that they ask all the same questions when literally those questions can be answered simply, you know, um, 
why haven't we found a dead body? How many times you you're a man who who are in the woods a lot? How many times have you ever just run across a dead body of anything in the woods? Yeah, not very often. And and when I do, it is always um, an animal that has been predated by another one, an animal that has been killed by something else. Usually a hunter with a gun. Um, uh, you know, the only but when you look at that question, you really have to narrow in on um, apex predators apex animals animals that nothing else hunts for food because you know you can find dead rat well rabbits received you can find dead deer because animal like coyotes and mountain lions and even bear sometimes go after deer and kill them and eat them so you can actually find prey animals but to find a predator it's nearly impossible um you just don't find black bears in the woods here's a good example i just got done this past fall i read a book i think it was called shadows in the forest if i remember right it was a book about black bear biology, and it was written by a team of black bear biologists who were studying um, bears in Idaho. And they had something like 360 or 380 bears in their study. It went on for 10 or 13 years, if I remember correctly. And these guys were gnarly. They would go into the den in winter, tranquilize the bear, <laughs> pull them out, take their samples and shove the bear back in the hole and like seal them up for the winter. Yeah, they were gnarly. They would do things that no sane person except for a biologist would do. Um, and during that 12 or 13 year study, I forget which, they found one naturally dead black bear. And it was in the den in the depths of winter. Now black bear only live 15 years, give or take in the wild. What happened to all the other ones that died during their study? They don't know either. You know, we don't expect to find naturally dead apex predators. And considering how much more common black bears are than Sasquatches, and you don't find black bears, I would expect that you would never find a Sasquatch naturally dead in the woods. I hear a lot that they bury their dead. I don't think that holds a lot of weight. How do you feel about that? They might. I don't think so personally. I don't think we need to go to that conclusion um, or that you know hypothesis. I don't think we need to go there because I think that the forest would do a very good job um, recycling the remains. But is it possible? Absolutely possible. Um, we don't know that behavior from a lot of our human relatives or our ancestors. Um, you know, Neanderthals, it's a question. Did Neanderthals do it? But certainly Sasquatches are not Neanderthals. They're, they're far more archaic than that. Probably, I think they're probably Australopithecines or something. But in which case, I mean, it's possible they do. I mean, elephants bury, or at least they cover their dead with brush and dirt and stuff like that. They don't dig a hole and plant them in there like humans tend to. But um, they covered, and interestingly enough, by the way, um, elephants do the same thing to humans when they find dead humans in the woods. They cover them in, with brush and dirt and stuff like that. So that's an interesting behavior. Was that observed in uh, India? I'm sorry, you're very, very quiet. Can you see that? Oh, was that observed in India? I don't know if it was in India or in Africa. Okay. I, I don't know which one. All right. I never thought an African elephant would be so compassionate. I could see an Indian elephant definitely uh, covering up a dead human they found in the jungle. I would never imagine an African elephant doing that thing. But they might be more nicer than I give them credit for. Oh, yeah. yeah. Elephants, I mean, they're, they're so intelligent and sentient and uh, observant of other sentient animals and stuff. I think the um, African elephant um, sometimes gets a bad rap because they're the ones with the giant ears versus the Asian elephant, right? Right. Um, and, and most of the footage that's out there is uh, like one of those pissed off African elephants running at the camera because they're in heat or whatever. The There's a special word for elephants when they're in heat. It's um, musk, isn't it? What? I'm sorry, what? It's musk, isn't it? Oh, that, that, that might be it. Yeah, musk. So they get all testosterone up yeah. and nuts for a while. You know, and I, I guess we've all been there. Well... <laughs> I would, I would, not to just make this completely about elephants, but I would just assume that uh, Indian elephants are probably considered better because they're a little more domesticated, you know? Mm. They've been working with humans for at least uh, a thousand years. Speaking of elephants, though, um, there's a book that just came out in January of 2020 um, by a guy named Gareth Patterson. And he's an elephant researcher in South Africa. And um, he was he actually rediscovered a population of elephants that all the local rangers and stuff said, no, there's no more. There's one left of that, a big old matriarch, and she's going to die soon, and that's the last one. There are no more of these particular elephants. Hmm. Well, he went in there and started tracking, and he found, oh, no, there's dozens of them. There's literally dozens of these elephants 
and everybody's saying that they, they're already extinct. That's not true at all. But during his time studying the elephants, he started running across basically Sasquatches. In Africa. Um, I think he's observed four now or five now, if I remember right, in the last eight years. In Africa? In Africa, in South Africa, yeah. <laughs> That's that's absolutely fascinating. I haven't heard any tales of um. Well, I think I have heard something about the Congo, but I haven't really heard anything about South Africa. I'll definitely no, have to research some more. Anywhere in the world that relatominoid should be. It should be Africa. Of humanity, it's Africa. Yeah, you know? I agree. Um. Yeah, but the, the, the book, by the way, if you want to check it out, it's only available on Kindle, and I don't get a kickback or anything for this. I, I really don't. I just think it's a really good book. It's super interesting. It's called um, uh, Beyond the Lives, uh, Beyond the Secret Elephants by Gareth Patterson. I got you. Beyond the Secret Elephants by Gareth Patterson. I'm writing that down right now. I love the read. I'm definitely going to check it out. Um, now, we, we discussed a lot about Bigfoot, and I'm pretty sure anyone listening who didn't know anything about Bigfoot or maybe didn't believe, they probably know something that they didn't know now, or they're probably a little closer to the truth that they're looking for. And um, we kind of reached our 30 minute mark a while ago. But before we before I let you go, are there any more cryptids out there that you think that there's credible evidence for? Um, the evidence part, the hard evidence, like footprint casts, there's not a lot out there. I think the orangutan deck is real, um, not only based on eyewitness reports, but the footprint casts that we've gotten back from that. I think several of the relatominoids, but if you go outside the more apey sort of things, you know, out, outside the hominoids, I, I think that the river and lake monsters are certainly real. Um, not only because of the uh, native traditions, um, not in North America and elsewhere, of these things, um, but also there's an ecological niche for them. Um, on the Klamath River in Northern California, I did some work down there. I've done some work up in Alaska, and I've been to Loch Ness. That was kind of a, a cool thing that kind of, you know, I, being an eight-year-old boy sitting in the library like you probably were looking at the Loch Ness Monster pictures and stuff. Yeah. I never thought I'd be able to do that. The famous... Um, but all of these places have a viable salmon run. And the native people who fish the, fish the river, they say, yeah, these things are horrible because when there's a good salmon run, we know they're around because they blow holes in our nets. You know, there's big holes in the nets that they go through. And so there's a, a, a long-standing tradition of these things in the native, the indigenous wisdom and the native stories. Um, there is an ecological niche. They seem to be tied to the salmon runs. Even in Loch Ness, there's a salmon run that goes there. Um, I, I think those are real. And um, I did a show last year. I don't know what channel it was on. It was called the Alaska Triangle or something like that. Um, and I did two episodes, one on Sasquatch and one on this Lake Iliamna monster. And when I was there, I saw three video clips of the Lake Iliamna monster. One might have been some wakes. The other one is ambiguous, but the other one was something long and squirmy and eel-like in the river, or in the lake, rather. So there is evidence for these things, um, and I think that those are real. Okay. I've been looking a lot into, um, I wouldn't say cryptids such as mythical cryptids. I've been looking more into extinct animals that might be still alive, like the thylacine, I've seen some pretty good video evidence for thylacine still existing. Oh yeah, I think that those are still there. And I've I, seen I, I some know witness in Australia. Yeah, I've seen some great video of a dodo bird actually too, and they Ooh, might still. I don't know about that one. That's they might one. still be around. They might still be around. Yeah, I like the rediscovery stuff. That that to me that really tickles my brain in a good way. I love that stuff. Well, I like that because at least we know these things existed. You know, it's not like we're just going out here on a whim. Yeah. No, I'm with you on that one. I, I wasn't aware about the dodo bird. I have seen some pretty compelling thylacine footage. Um, yeah, yeah. There's a couple guys. Like the one guy down in Australia, you should track him down. His name's Gary Opit. He's a just uh, cryptozoologist in general, and he's observed several animals that aren't supposed to exist at all, including the yowie. I think he may have seen the thylacine, and he said, "I saw something else. I don't even know what it is." But this guy, for him to not know what something is, is a big deal because. He's an, a naturalist extraordinaire. I went for a walk with him, and we couldn't get 20 feet without without him turning, like going to the ground and go, oh, look at this plant, and tell me the natural history of this plant. In <laughs> fact, his job in Australia for, for a long time, um, he would be on the equivalent of NPR, National Public Radio. Okay. Down in Australia, it's called something else. I don't know what it is. He would do this show where people would call in and say, hey, Gary, um, I saw this bird in my backyard. It had a red red plume and did this, and it made a sound like, 
and and Gary goes, oh my gosh, that's a so and so, and he he would go on for twenty minutes about this bird and this natural history. He knows everything, even by oral description from his caller. You know, it's amazing. I find that fascinating that uh, you actually get to meet with all these biologists and zoologists and cryptozoologists. This is something I've always wanted to do. It's a great honor to have you on the show today. I really want to thank you again for coming on and having this discussion with me. Oh, I'm happy to do it. I'm just talking Squatch and, you know, I'm no celebrity or anything like that. I'm just some Bigfoot nerd that got lucky. (laughs) Before I let you go, though, do you want to plug anything? I know you have a museum, a podcast. Go ahead and let the fans and the viewers know where to find all these things. Okay, yeah, yeah. Well, um, I do own a Bigfoot museum. My wife and I opened one up this past year. It's called the North American Bigfoot Center. Um, I'm there right now, actually, upstairs in the in the messy office. But um, yeah, so uh, we're a Bigfoot museum. We have a lot of casts and evidence on display because, generally speaking, people aren't aware at how much evidence of how much evidence there is out there. And it's my job. I mean, I'm, I'm an educator. I, I taught children. I taught fifth graders, ten year olds for a living before I was on television. So this is just an extension of my educational pursuits, you know, but now I'm talking about Bigfoot instead of, you know, division. Um, other than that, Bobo from Finding Bigfoot, he and I do a podcast every week. It's called Bigfoot and Beyond. Um, you can listen to it in your browser because, I mean, I don't know, I'm, I'll be 50 years. I can't tell you how to download a podcast. <laughs> I, don't, I just don't know how to do it. But, so, but for people like me, you can, you can download the podcast wherever you get your podcast, Bigfoot and Beyond. But for people like me, we can also listen to it in our browser, BigfootAndBeyondPodcast.com. Um, and other than that, you know, maybe I'll be appearing at a campfire near you. <laughs> well, ladies and gentlemen, I was Cliff Bergman. Like I say, you you probably seen him from Animal Planet's Finding Bigfoot. He's a famous Bigfoot researcher, and he owns a Bigfoot museum. I want to thank you for coming on, and keep it squatchy, Cliff. Oh, I have no option in my life. It's squatchy as I'll get out. Thank you very much for having me on, Clay. I really appreciate it. It's no problem. I look forward to talking to you again. Whenever you want. All right. You have a good day.